uh, we have sanitation, uh, hand sanitizer at every door, even over here on the little door. Uh, sit out back or sit out front, get underneath in the shade and so forth. And uh, anyway, Romans chapter 2, and uh, we're in verse number 1. We're going to get into the, uh, the, the, the man's defense. The, the courtroom has been set. The prosecuting attorney, the Apostle Paul, on behalf of the Godhead, has laid out the charges. They have put into place the, uh, the, the, the indictment. So the arraignment has come to a conclusion. The, the judge has said, we are um, we're going to have some rules, procedures on how you're going to understand how I'm going to judge. And uh, I'm gonna, we're going to talk uh, the first issue here in chapter 2. Uh, by the way, we're going to see man's defense now is what we're going to see this morning, starting in verse 1. But just to kind of remind ourselves of the procedures here in, 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 in the book, the, the rules of the court, the rules concerning how God's going, the judgment of God will, will take place. Verse number one, Therefore thou art an excusable, O man, whosoever thou art that judgest, for wherein thou judgest another, thou condemnest thyself, for thou that judgest doest the same things. But we are sure that the judgment of God is according to the first one, truth. Okay, so the first mechanism... The first manner, the first way that God is going to judge is going to be based on an objective, an authoritative standard outside of man. It's called truth. It's called absolute truth. And we're going to see that as we go down through it. And if you look there at verse 3, you see the end of that verse, the judgment of God, the end of verse 5, the righteous judgment of God. This is about the judgment of God. The judgment of God is he's going to administer justice first according to truth. Verse 3, the second one here, And thinkest this, thou, O man, that judgest them which do such things, and doest the same, that thou shalt escape. The second issue is that it's inevitable. No, you're not going to escape it. It's going to happen. Verse 5. But after thy hardness and impenitent heart treasureth up unto... So the third issue is it's accumulative. It's going to accumulate. It's going to, they're going to, it's going to pile on. It's going to be a multiple charges, not just one. One charge is enough. How many sins did it take Adam to commit to get kicked out of the garden? Just one. But this isn't, it's going to be multiple charges. Verse 6 who will render to every man according to his deeds. The next issue is it's going to be equitable. It's going to hit everybody. You're not going to be able to get around it. You're not going to be able to get away from it. He's going to judge you according to your behavior. He's going to pull the books open. We'll see it as we go down through it, and he's going to get you. Then in verse 8 and 9, it's incendiary. In other words, it's going to hurt it's going to be fiery. Verse 8, But unto them that are contentious and do not obey the truth, but obey unrighteousness, indignation and wrath, tribulation and anguish. It's going to hurt. Okay? It's, going to, it's not going to be a, you know, I had a guy tell me one time, 
he was a Marine, well, we're going to storm the gates of hell and win the day. You know, I'm like, you're not going to storm nothing, dude. And he's like, yeah, we are. We're Marines. You know, hoorah and all that. I'm like, no, you're going to lose the day. Verse 11, for there is no respecter of person with God. It's impartial. The judgment of God, the justice of God, he's going to judge based on an impartiality. No respect. So guess what you can't do? Can't pay him off. Can't bribe him. Can't go around and get him in your pocket. I'll do you a favor, and then one day I'm going to come to you and ask you for a favor. Godfather mentality. It ain't going to work. He's going to get you. Then in verse 16, in the days when God shall judge the secrets of men... It's intense. It's getting everything. Everybody's going to be laid back naked before him. Hebrews 4.13, talking about the word of God laying laying all of man naked before him. He sees it all. He doesn't do anything. You don't do anything. You think nobody knows. He knows. You think, oh, I can get away with this. No, he knows. Then there's one that I added, actually there's two, the, the incendiary, but there is an immunity. And that's what we're going to talk about this morning a little bit as we, and, and as we begin to go down through chapter 2 and chapter 3, and that is the fact that you do not have to stand before the judge. You can take the plea deal. And the plea deal is the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, if you want to take the risk and stand before the judge, how's he going to judge you? This way. That's how he's going to do it. Man is not going to be able to stand before the judgment, the great white throne judgment and say, wait a minute, that's a new rule. He'll say, no, the rules have always been there. Okay? You can take the risk and stand before the judge He's going to judge you in this manner right there. That's how he's going to judge you. Or you can take the plea deal, and that's what the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ is all about. That he took your judgment for you. He stood in your place. And what God's doing here through Paul, starting here in in Romans 1, 2, and 3, is basically he's telling you, let me tell you how you can avoid the sentence. Let me tell you how to not have to stand before the judgment seat, the judgment of God. Not the judgment. I'm thinking about the judgment seat of Christ. <laughs> That's next hour. The judgment of God. How can we do that? So when you begin to think about the gospel, the gospel has to be understood with the backdrop of our urgent condition that we stand before a judgment of God, a God who's right and righteous and just, but also the justifier. And we have to understand that we are broken, troubled. And yet, what did God say? I ha- if, look at chapter 319. We've read this verse. You know, I look around the room now, and hopefully you've all been with us online. I'm assuming that, okay? You've kind of kept up with what we're doing. And Romans 3.19, what does he say? Now we know that whatsoever things saith the law, saith it 
It saith to them who are under the law that every mouth may be stopped and all the world may become guilty. There's the guilty pronouncing. There's the judge coming back with guilty. This isn't a jury trial. This is a judge judgment, a judge trial, a bench trial. And the bench says guilty. But notice how he says that every mouth may be stopped. Man's going to run on at the mouth. We'll start here in verse 1 in chapter 2. And we'll see man defend, begin to defend himself. We'll see Paul answer it, okay? Re, re, the rebuttal witnesses are brought forth. And finally God says, enough, shut up. Enough out of you. I've heard enough, you're guilty. Chapter 1, the indictment's been laid in, you're guilty. Man is worthy of the wrath of God and judgment of God. Will the defense like to speak? Yes, boom, up they come. And he says, enough, finally. But if you look down at verse 22, he says, even the righteousness of God, which is by faith of Jesus Christ unto all and upon all them that believe. For there is no difference, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. There's no difference. Everybody's a sinner. All of us have come. We're all in trouble. We all have issues but being justified freely by His grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Hey, God says, enough man, you're guilty, but take the plea deal, would you? Take the deal over here that I'm offering you, and we don't have to go any further. Now come back to chapter 2, and let's get into the defense. The first defense that's going to be raised here is the defense of self-righteousness. Verse 1. <clears throat> Therefore thou art inexcusable, O man, whosoever thou art that judgeth. For wherein thou judgest another, thou condemnest thyself. For thou that judgest doest the same things. Isn't that interesting? In these, when man stands and begins to self-justify, claim his own righteousness, what he is literally proving is the point that he's been trying to disprove from chapter 1, and that's the issue of having a conscience, having a moral compass, having an understanding of what's right and wrong. When the man, when, and by the way, chapter 1, verse 19 and 20, what God put in man a moral compass. He put in a, an ability to know right and wrong. And we saw that when we went through. And yet when man stands up, and, and again, in chapter 1, man comes up with crazy ideas about this. And we'll see it here in just a minute, you know, about relative truth. And truth is only relative at the moment. It's your truth. Okay? You know, I have a... <laughs> it, it's only what's going on and, you know, all that. But when you say, I'm not as bad as the other guy, what you're saying is, is you have a conscience because you're judging someone else to be worse than you. <laughs> and I, I'll tell you what, who are you to say that you're better than he is? Well, I am. <laughs> and man does have a conscience. And yet he says, look, at, look, look over in chapter 1, verse 29. Being filled 
with all unrighteousness. Being filled, sin just more and more. It's a pig at the trough, just constantly eating. Constantly getting fatter and fatter. Being filled with all unrighteousness, fornication, wickedness, covetousness, maliciousness. Well, you know what, I didn't, I'm not full of all that. He is, though, but I'm not. Yeah, but what's the next word? Covetousness. Covetousness is idolatry, where you covet. Well, maybe I, I do kind of covet that Dodge Ram pickup truck, you know, or Chevy. No Fords, Chevy or Dodge, okay? And lately it's a Chevy, all right? No, well, so wait a second. I, I'm not a, what's the next word? Malicious, full of envy, murder, debate. Uh-oh, I love that one, debate. Well, we're not debating, we're discussing. <laughs> no, you're debating. Deceit, malignant, ooh, whispers, gossipers, whisper, whisper, whisper. Gossip behind the scene. Backbiters, there it is, haters of God. When man says, wait a second, I'm not as bad as that guy. See, in 2.1, man begins to argue on a false premise of self-righteousness, of I'm not as bad as that guy. Now watch Paul in verse 2, 2.2. But we are sure that the judgment of God is according to However you're feeling today. How you feeling today? Well, I got a little, <laughs> well, we'll excuse you. To, we'll just come back next week. No, it's according to what? Truth. Against them which commit such things. Notice, commit such things. What such things? The things in verse 1 saying, I'm not as bad as they are. Or I better point on this side, right? <laughs> Equal out the pointing. I'm not as bad as this side of the room. Wednesday night we had a fight going on. Okay, no, he's like, look, we're going to, God's not going to use a false premise. He's not going to use a substandard standard of judgment. He's going to use truth. What does man say? You don't understand my situation. You don't understand my upbringing. If you had just known my parents, you would understand how I am, I'm the way I am. <laughs> Don't look at him. <laughs> Everybody's looking around. Yeah, see, that's right, right? You don't understand my circumstance. You don't know. You made the choice. You, God's going to come along and judge based on truth. That's the first rule. Rule number one, truth. He's going to come along with an with a independent, objective, exclusive, eternally fixed, unchangeable, immutable standard, and it's called truth. And what does man believe? That truth is just relative to the individual and or the situation that that individual's in. You make your own truth. Come over to John 17. You see, when God, use, when God is going to judge, we're going to get down in Romans, and we're going to see a statement where it says, let God be true and every man a 
Liar. John 17, 17, when God judges and when God uses truth, sanctify them through thy truth. Where's the truth? Thy word is truth. You see, God's going to use the truth of his word. He's going to use a book. And, he, and that book contains truth. It's up, not until the recent... Uh, couple of years, and I say that in the last maybe 50 years or so, 60 years, where the Bible was called the Holy Bible. And that Holy Bible fit on the only Bible that it was allowed to fit on, which was a King James Bible. The new Bibles never used the word holy on their Bibles. Now, all that's changed. They all run with it or drop it completely. But when you go back 50, 60, 70 years ago, that book, a King James Bible, was called the Holy Bible because they knew it had what? The truth. See? You see, God's going to use his word because who, where is he? He's outside of time. He's outside of the sin condition. He, by him were all things created, and they were created for him. He's sitting over here, and we're over there. He's, he's objective. He's not, man's going to come before the great white throne judgment and say, hang on, wait a minute. <laughs> you don't know my wife. She drove me to drinking. He's going to say, I know her, and you drove her to drinking too. And you're guilty because you're a sinner. Well, you don't know. And he's just going to say, you know what? My word is true. And my word says that there's no difference for all of sin and come short of the glory of God. And you're guilty. What does man do? Wait a second. Come back to chapter 2. The best illustration of this I could ever really think about, you know how you have those jars and you got like, M&M's in it, and you got to count how many M&M's are in the jar, okay? So we got a jar of M&M's, regular, the real, not the peanuts, the, the original, right? Melt in your hands, not in your mouth, or melt in your mouth, not in your hands, okay? You, here it's melt, just melt, <laughs> okay? Let's say that, there's a, that the count in the jar is 150, okay? You look at the jar, What's the best color in the jar? Some will say what? Green. So, or some will say red. Some will say blue. Right? Now, is the best color in the jar green? Is that per preference or is that truth? It's preference. I, pref I eat all the green ones first because they're the what? They're the best. Right? But you can say, well, no, wait a minute. I eat all the red ones because they're the best. What's the best flavor? Chocolate. <laughs> Is that preference or truth? That's truth because they are all what? Chocolate. See? Is there 150 in the jar? Is there preference? Not anymore. <laughs> exactly. I love having a crowd back. It's so hard to teach to a to a mostly empty room, you know? No, no, 
is there 150 in the jar? Yes, that's the count. That's the truth. You see, your preference does not define what truth is. That's the point. Man confuses that issue. And they say that my preference is what truth is. God's word says no. Come over to Psalm 69. Your preference is just that. Your preference. Come over to Psalm 69. By the way, I, don't, I ate all the M&Ms, so you don't have to worry about it. <laughs> Last night, we, we went up, we went yesterday um, out up, up under the, we went to Young. We drove through, had never been there, and so we took the long way, went over by Lake Roosevelt and up and around and got up on the rim and uh, had a flat tire. <laughs> so changed the flat tire on the, on the, on the infinity and everything. And, and we come back, we get all that, we come back home, we make it home, we go down through Payson and everything, we get home and Emily comes in and says, I found your chocolate hiding spot. <laughs> I was like, oh, she found it. Because what's going to happen? I got to find another, mom's got to find another hiding spot. <laughs> you know, I'll have to help her. Okay? Because Psalm 69, verse 13. Psalm 69, 13. But as for me, my prayer is unto thee. That's not right. Well, never mind. Do I, am I, make sure I'm in the right place. Okay, well, go back to Romans 2. I'll remember it and I'll go, oh, that was that one. Romans 2. That's what you get for writing things down after you've been up on the hill all day. <laughs> Romans 2. Folks, God's gonna, God will judge. His judgment will be based on a perfect standard, and it's called truth. And I'll be honest with you, that ought, to, that ought to put fear in the hearts of men. Because he is going to judge based on absolute, objective, unchangeable truth. When he wrote the book... The verse over there in Psalms, thy word is settled in heaven. He wrote it in heaven first. And guess what? It hasn't changed over time. All right, verse 3, 2, 3. Got to move here a little bit. 2, 3. And thinkest thou this, O man, that judgest them which do such things, and doest the same. I'm better. How dare... How dare you throw that list at me? I'm better than they are. Because you don't know my background. You don't know my situation. You don't know what's, you know, meh, 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 meh. You know, just like a little baby in the nursery, whining away. And do us to say, that thou shalt, now notice why man threw that up. What's he trying to escape? The judgment of God. You think you're going to get away with it. I don't know if it's Psalm 96. 
Okay. Now you got me thinking, so. Uh, yeah, yep, Psalms 96, 13. I just wrote the numbers wrong. Look over there. Psalms 96, 13. Before the Lord... For he cometh, for he cometh to judge the earth, he will judge the world with his righteousness and the people with his truth. God doesn't judge like man judges. He's going to come and judge with what? Righteousness and truth. That's the point. Okay? Come back there to chapter two, Romans two, verse three. Thank you. I'll have to make a note, otherwise I'll repeat that error. And I'll have to do that. Two, three. The issue of escape. That's not. It's inevitable. It's coming. They're not going to get away with it. They're not going to escape it. Now you know what man does. Come over to Acts twenty-four. You, you know what you know what man does. Well, it didn't come today. I did this yesterday, and it didn't get here. So maybe nobody's really watching. Maybe I'll just get away with it. Acts 24, verse 24, Paul, here talking to Felix, Acts 24, 24, and after certain days when Felix came with his wife, Drusilla, which was a Jewess, he sent for Paul and heard him concerning the faith in Christ. And as he reasoned, Paul is going to reason with Felix. He's not going to come in with a bunch of stories and slideshows. He's going to sit and reason. Now, notice what Paul reasons with Felix with, about. Righteousness, temperance, and judgment to come. You see that? Paul sits with Felix, gives him the gospel, talks about the fact that God demands perfect righteousness... Felix, you don't have it, and guess what's coming? Judgment. Now notice the next two words in that verse. Felix did what? Trembled. Paul, all, Paul, Felix, you're not going to escape the judgment. So what does man, but what does man do? It's inevitable. No, it's not. It didn't come yet. It's not going to happen. And people are always trying to escape the coming judgment. And usually you will hear people say, I'll just take care of that when I get old. Wait till I'm on my deathbed to come talk to me about salvation. Just leave me alone. Let me, I want to live my way. Well, deathbed could come quicker than you think. You know, you know David, what did David say, about 72, 80 years you live? You know, it could come quick. Better not. No, what are they trying to do? Push, push it. Push it. They make God into an, an enemy, a terrorist, a, an evil guy, an evil individual. Why? So they can do what? Get around. Come over to a Hebrews 9. Get around the judgment. So God's going to, man's going to come up with excuses here. Th this is their defense. <laughs> the judge says, hey, does the defense have an anything to say? Oh, yes, we do, Your Honor. <laughs> yeah. How dare that Apostle Paul accuse me of doing that list in chapter 1? I, doesn't he know I'm a good guy? Doesn't he know? And he boasts up that self-righteousness, and Paul stands and says, 
Yeah, let's look at the truth, Your Honor. <laughs> and he lays it out. Well, well you know what? It, I, I, we can get around it. And Paul's standing now and saying, no, you can't. The second issue is that issue of escape. Because it's not here yet. It didn't come right away. Okay? Look at Hebrews 9. And look at verse 27. A verse we are very familiar with. And as it is appointed unto men once to die, but after this the judgment. But I want you to notice something in the beginning. Hey, look, the death rate is still one apiece. Okay? You know, everybody's dying to get in the cemetery. <laughs> okay? That's what, uh, all right. It's still that way. And after you die, you know why people don't are scared to die? Because the judgment is the next thing, and they know it. Okay? But look at the beginning of that verse. As it is, it is what? Appointed. You're on the Google calendar, baby. There is an appointment. God has pulled out his appointment book and said, we're going to meet right there. And you know what? You can't cancel it because of the COVID. I call it the corona. You can't cancel it for, because of the virus. You can't sit there and say, <coughs> I got a cough. You know, I know how you do it because I do it. I don't want to go to the dentist before the shutdown and all that stuff. And they call me, hey, we got you scheduled. And I go, listen, I am sick. <coughs> don't you hear me? <laughs> Because I didn't, I didn't want to go. I was just enough, you know. And yet, they're like, well, we'll we're the cleanest place. So I went. And I, I really was sick. But I go. The lady goes, have you been sick in the last two weeks? I said, yes. I was trying to tell the knuckleheads at the front desk I'd been sick. Because I had been sick. And they're like, well, you need to go home. No kidding, you know. <laughs> And she's sitting there, and she is covered in PPE from head to toe. And I'm like, lady, I should be, you know, anyway. It's appointed. You're on the calendar. The judgment is going to come. So what does man do? Go back to Romans 2. Let's get around it. Verse 4. Or disp the, uh, uh, the end of verse 3. And dost the same that thou shalt escape the judgment. You think you're going to escape the judgment of God? Or despisest thou the riches of his goodness and forbearance and longsuffering, not knowing that the goodness of God leadeth thee to repentance? See how Paul answers that? We're going to get it. We're, we're not going to. We're not judged now. You know, he's put it off. We'll see the verse in Ecclesiastes here in just a second. And he says, hey, we're not going to be this. And Paul says, what are you, nuts? Don't you see the plea deal on the table that, we're off, that God is offering you about his goodness and forbearance and long-suffering? Don't you see what God's giving you? And you're over here going to plead something stupid and argue and think because of your self-righteousness and because God hasn't knocked you upside the head, thrown you in jail yet, you're going to get there. That, or despiseth. I, that's a wonderful word. 
It's more than to hate something, okay? It's rather here to say, I choose to not give it any consideration. It's much deeper than just despising it, not liking it. I hate the mask thing. Why? Because I'm a little claustrophobic, okay? I don't like it. I, I despise it. But this is deeper than that. This is to say, I have chosen not to give it consideration. I don't care about it. I give it no value. I give it no worth. I give it no merit. What God, the deal. I'm rejecting the deal. I won't even consider it. So Paul's, I mean, he's getting on them here. You choose to not give any consideration to the goodness of God to the riches of his goodness, to his forbearance and his long-suffering. You chose not to give any consideration to the provisions that God has made for you in your puny, little, stinking, rotten existence. I mean, this is gloves are off time. Come back to Ecclesiastes 8. Just notice this. I'm, th these verses are all flow together. Because what's man trying to get around? Judgment. So he pulls the old self-righteous card. And then he says, wait a minute. I'm still walking around. No lightning bolt has come out of heaven and zapped me. So Ecclesiastes 8 verse 11 this is the verse that we all know and are very familiar with. Because sentence against an evil work is not executed speedily. Therefore the heart of the sons of men is fully set in them to do evil. Boy, you've got to remember that. Come over to Psalms 10. 1 Peter Chapter three or Second Peter chapter three, the scoffers in the last day are going to ask Peter, "Where's the judgment at? You've been talking about it. He ain't here yet." And he says, "Hey, God is not slack concerning His promises. A day with the Lord's a thousand years. A thousand. Guess what? He's gonna come back, Charlie. And if you think He's not, you got to. It's appointed. It's coming." Just because it's not swiftly executed doesn't mean it's not going to come. Psalms 10. By the way, Ecclesiastes, Solomon, the wisest man to ever walk the earth outside of the Lord Jesus Christ. When God talked to him, he said, give me wisdom. And he gave it all to him. You take Ecclesiastes and you study that book out and you'll see every philosophy theory known to man come out of that book. They plagiarize the word of God. He's, it's there where you see nothing new under the sun. So when you start seeing stuff pop up and people, uh, you can go right back and find it, right back there in the Old Testament with Solomon, in the Proverbs as well. And you know what he says? This is how man thinks. I got away with it. I got away with it. We've all seen the cold cases, and they get solved because science is now DNA stuff is catching them and everything. And you know what they thought they did? They thought they got away with it. But when it comes to this, guess what Paul's saying? You ain't getting away with it. It's inevitable. It's coming. 
You're not going to escape it. Psalms 10, you got Psalms 10. I know this one's right. <laughs> Verse 11. He has said in his heart, God hath forgotten. He hideth his face. He will never see it. Arise, O Lord, O God. Lift up thine hand. Forget not the humble. Look at what man does. God forgot. He didn't see it. I snuck one by him. Wherefore doth the wicked contemn God? He hath said in his heart, Thou wilt not require it. Thou hast seen it. For thou beholdest mischief and spite to requite it with thy hand. The poor committeth himself unto thee. Thou art the helper of the fatherless. Break thou the arm of the wicked and the evil man. Seek out his wickedness till thou find none. Now, that's Israel and tribulation time, James 1, Revelation stuff. But just look at how man thinks. God, he didn't see it. He's not going to require it. He's going to forget about it. He's going to be doing other stuff. And he, you, know, he, he, you know, he can't smoke and chew gum at the same time. Or what is it, talk and chew gum at the same time. He can't do two things at one time. And guess what, what God's going to say? Come back to Rome, come over to Acts 14. What's Paul say? He does. Get Acts 14, go back there to Romans 2. He's going to require it. You're not going to get away with it. And how, you, what are you guys, I, I just, 2, 3, and thinkest thou this, O man? You guys think this way. You think you're going to get away with it because he's not zapping you right now. He's not judging you right now. And then also, you guys have the audacity to choose not to value the riches of his goodness and forbearance and long-suffering. Man, you guys sit there. Look, look at Acts 14. You guys are literally going to... The plea deal has been the riches of his goodness, forbearance. I think about that word, forbearance. Forbear. Long, how about long-suffering? The key, the key mark of the dispensation of grace is long-suffering. It's ongoing. Peter, 1 Peter 3, or 2 Peter 3, I oh mean, 1 Peter, 2 Peter 3, he says, you want to understand the long-suffering and why the judgment hadn't come? You've got to go study Paul. Paul tells us why the, long, why the interruption has happened. Go read his epistles. He'll tell you. Now, you've got to rightly divide them. Be careful, because <laughs> Paul's going to tell you not to keep the law, and you, you boys better be keeping the law. That's Peter, because that's their, that's their deal. Acts 14, 14. Which when the apostles, Barnabas and Paul, heard, they rent their clothes and ran in among the people crying and saying, Sirs, why do ye these things? We also are men of like passions with you and preach unto you that ye should turn from these vanities unto the living God, which made... Now watch how Paul does this. When dealing with the lost, notice what Paul does here. He's going to emphasize the goodness of God. Turn to the living God, which made heaven and earth and the sea and all things that are therein, 
who in time past suffered all nations to walk in their own ways. Nevertheless, he left not himself without witness in that he did good. Gave us rain from heaven and fruitful season, filling our hearts with food and gladness. Isn't that interesting? He's dealing with the lost people there. They, they've called him, they've called Barnabas Jupiter and Paul Mercurius. They all in this idolatry worship. Paul goes in there and says, Stop, don't you offer a sacrifice to me and Barnabas? Who you ought to be offering a sacrifice to is the living God. Look at his goodness. He gave you rain, he gave you the seasons, he's provided for you, he's gave, given you the ability to survive. God's not, see, God's not a terrorist. He, he's not hating you. He's not against you. No, in creation, he's a provider for you. Come over to chapter 17 of Acts. You see, when they sit there and he brings up about the riches of his goodness and forbearance and long-suffering, it's to remind everyone of who God is. He's... That plea deal sitting there on the table. <laughs> the deal is set there for you. Take the deal. Moses looks at Israel and says, I lay before you death and life. Choose life. And they chose death. <laughs> That's man. Romans 17, he's up on Mars Hill, verse 22. Then Paul stood in the midst of Mars Hill and said, Ye men of Athens, I perceive that in all things ye are too superstitious. For as I pass by and behold your devotions, I find an al found an altar with this inscription, To the unknown God, whom therefore ye ignorantly worship, him declare I unto you. Verse 25, uh, verse 26, And hath made of one blood all nations of men, for to dwell on all the face of the earth, and have determined the towns before appointed, and the bounds of their habitation, that they should seek the Lord, if haply they might feel after him, and find him, though, it be, though he be not far from one of us. For in him we live and move, and have our being, as certain also of your own poets have said, for we are also his offspring. For as much then as we are the offspring of God, we ought not to think that, God, that the Godhead is like unto gold or silver or stone graven by art and man's device. And the times of this ignorance God winked at, but now commendeth all men everywhere to what? Repent. Repent. Change that thinking, that stinking thinking. Move, have a change here. Let's change the way you think about your life, about life in general. You see, man, your interpretation of life is twisted. It's distorted. It's corrupt. We need to change that. Look at, what, look at the goodness of God. Look at his forbearance. He winked at this time of ignorance. You know, you know, winked at it. Not in a flirt way, but a... Didn't see it. Boom. Okay. Now watch verse 31. Because he hath, uh-oh, there's our word, appointed a day in the which he will judge the world in righteousness by that man whom he hath ordained, 
whereof he hath given assurance unto all men, and that he hath raised him from the dead. He appointed a day to do what? To judge. You're on the schedule. You're on the calendar. Come back to Romans 2. And guess what? It's inevitable. You can't get away from it. You're not going to, to be able to escape it. And man goes, yeah, I can escape it. It isn't happening. He isn't doing it right now, so I'm good to go. He forgot. He'll forget. He'll forget. Verse 4, the long-suffering issue. Again, the long-suffering of God is simply God's attitude and willingness to put up with some things. That's long, suffer long. And he's able to, to put up with these things because of his grace. And it's in his grace that he's producing the gift of eternal life and making it available to all men. Remember we started in Romans 1, all men, all nations, all of that. And it's a free gift. And the end of verse 4, he says, Not knowing that the goodness of God leadeth thee to repentance. You know, if you recognize the goodness of God, you know what it's going to do? It's going to change your thinking. You think about your own salvation when, when you heard the gospel, the gospel of your salvation. You know what it did? It changed your thinking is what it did. Here's the deal. Thank you, Lord. I'll take that because <laughs> I don't want that. Verse 5, what does man do? But after thy hardness and impenitent heart treasureth up unto thyself wrath against the day of wrath and revelation of the righteous judgment of God. What's man do? Treasures it up. He accumulates that. He sits there and says, boy, that one was good. I'll have another. Thank you. And if you look at chapter 1 there in verse 32... You see the intensity of, of the sin just get worse and worse and worse. Man is not willing to rethink or reconsider or change their viewpoint. Not going to change their perspective. What is their perspective? Verse 32 of chapter 1 who knowing the judgment of God, that they which commit such things are worthy of death. See, they know they're guilty. Don't ever let anyone ever tell you, oh, I'm not guilty. They're guilty, and they know they are. Not only do the same, but have what? Pleasure in them that do them. It just gets worse and worse and worse. So you know what happens in chapter 2, verse 5? That... That unwillingness to change their perspective and their thinking results, accumulates into wrath. A day of judgment. A day of wrath and revelation of the righteous judgment of God. Then in verse 6, who will render to every man according to his 
deeds. That's the fair and equitable component. You're not going to get away from it. You're not going to be able to come over there and provide a little payoff scheme on the side. You're not, you know, the, the innocent are the guys with the, with the best lawyers. You know that. How, how can that guy be proven innocent because he had the best lawyers? That's not going to be the case. And what begins to happen here now and is from verse 6 down to verse number 10. We'll pick up on these next time. You have to be careful here because he's talking about a day in the future, a day of impending judgment where the righteous judgment of God will be declared fair and equitable according to every man's deeds, who will render to every man according to his deeds. And what happens is, well, let's just read verse 6. Who will render to every man according to his deeds, verse 7, to them who by patience, continuance, and well-doing seek for glory and honor and immortality, eternal life, but unto them that are contentious and do not obey the truth, but obey righteousness, indignation and judgment, tribulation and anguish upon every soul of man that doeth evil, of the Jew first and also of the Gentile, but honor, but glory, honor and peace to every man that worketh good to the Jew first and also to the Gentile. You see that passage? You have to be very careful with that passage. Because people use that passage to say that that is another way to get saved. That is another way to, to get around the judgment of God. And this passage is not the formula for or an explanation of another plan of salvation. Okay? Rather... This is a description of the judgment of God. He will judge you according to and on the basis of your own merit if you don't take the plea deal offered through the gospel of, of the Lord Jesus Christ. Okay? How do you know that? Verse 6. He will render to every man according to his what? His deeds. Come back to Revelation 20. Let's look at the day. The end of verse 5 there, against the day of wrath and revelation of his... See, folks, this is not, oh, good, I got another way to get around it. No, this is a description of what's going to happen at the great white throne judgment. That's what he's talking about here, okay? Revelation 20, starting verse 11. And I saw a great white throne, and him that sat on it, whose face the earth and the heaven fled away, and there was found no place for them. Him that sat on it, the only one worthy to sit on the throne, the Lord Jesus Christ, because of the cross work of Calvary. Could you imagine he's going to sit there, and you know what's going to be visible? The marks on his body, the scars in his hand, the, the, the crown marks when they press the crown in him. All of that's going to be visible, a, a reminder to man of what they've done. That's why you're going to see them say, wait a minute, I'm not that. I didn't kill you. That was those guys back there. And he's going to say, yeah, you did. Verse 12, and I saw the dead. I love this. Small and great. 
all equitable, all equal. No one bigger than the other, you know? Well, I was a billionaire. I was a pauper. You're all here. Small and the dead, small and great. Stand before God. And the books were all... Isn't that interesting? The truth gets opened here. The books. The books. And the, de- and, uh, the books were opened, and another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged out of those things which were written in the books according to their works. You think about Matthew 12. We've been through Matthew 12 on Wednesday night, verse 36, where he says, you're going to be judged on every idle word. Could you imagine? It's in the book. By the way, it's in everybody's book. The difference between these guys and you is you've got the plea deal on page one. The blood mark. You've got the gospel mark there. And when the judge opens your book and he says, well, there's the plea deal, signed, sealed, and delivered. All right, just we'll do that over there. You think everybody's got a book, even you and I, because we weren't always in Christ, were we? But when we, were in, when we got in Christ, what, what did he do? Page one is now the agreement between you and the Godhead. I think about that every, according to every word. Verse 13, and the sea gave up the dead which were in it, and death and hell delivered up the dead which were, uh, were in them, and they were judged, every man according to their works. And death and hell was cast into a lake of fire. This is the second death. And whosoever was not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. That's a description. Come back to Romans 2 quickly. That is a description of the consequence of God's judgment against sin. So in Romans 2 here, when we get down in verse 6, 7, and 8, verse 7, and people say, see, look, who by, con- who, who by what? Patient continuance and well-doing. How many of you can do that? You know what verse 7 really is? Is a definition of what perfect righteousness looks like. Think about that. Patient continuance. That means your life has to be committed to the unbroken, seamless, continuous life of goodness. How you doing? Now, I'm not doing very, I don't do very good at all. I'm sorry. I'm really more in verse (laughs) 8. I'm a little contentious. See? But now, watch verse 7 carefully. Continue it's in well-doing. What's that next word? Seek for glory and honor and immortality. You see, folks, when you have that life committed to unbroken, seamless, continuous life of goodness... It's because you are seeking something. You're working towards something. You're working towards the glory and the honor that God is willing to give you. You see, it isn't enough to have a patience and continuous life. It's what's motivating it. 
And I'll be honest with you, what's motivating it is that self-righteous issue. Because you don't get it done. Folks, if you don't want to stand before the judgment seat, take the plea deal. (laughs) Take the offer on the table. You see what Paul's doing there? Now we'll get down in verse, because time's up. We'll get down in verse 6, 7, 8, 9, and 10 next time. This is not a new formula for getting you around for trusting and going based on your merit. Because your merit's what's got you in trouble. This is rather a description of what's going to happen and transpire at the great white throne judgment. Okay? Please don't let someone pull that on you. All right? Okay, we'll pick up there uh, next week. Okay? Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for the morning, Lord. We thank you for your word. And above all, Lord, we thank you for who we are in your son. We thank you for the deal that you placed on the table. And we're grateful for that opportunity to accept it by faith and to place our trust in you. In your name we pray. Amen. All right, let's be.